by the power vested in me, I would like to fire Scott Lusheen for allowing my daughter, who goes to college on Saturday, my only daughter, to sing before I get ready to preach. <laughs> Seriously. I love you. Did she tell you that we're, we're live from what we're singing today? Oh, thank you. Yeah. Okay. Amen. So, um, I have a friend named Rick, and he has a daughter named Evie. And Rick is a pastor in Andrew, North Carolina. And Rick is one of my best friends in the world. And Rick was telling me a story. He's like, Matt, you're not going to believe what happened. I'm sitting in my office. He has a home office, and his kids are young. And so most of you that even work at home, you understand there are a lot of interruptions. And so uh, Rick was in his office. On his desk, he has a corn cob pipe that somebody gave him as a decoration piece. Evie, who came up to him and says, Daddy, what is that? And he looked at her and he said, oh, it's a pipe. What do you use that for? Well, it's a pipe so you can smoke tobacco. And she went, oh, no, don't do that, Daddy. You'll become obsessed. <laughs> now, her confusion of words has a lot of truth in it. And so what we're going to dive into today is we're going to take a look at Proverbs, and we're going to look at the issue of addiction. And, and here is the thing. Most of us, when we talk about addiction, we automatically go, well, there's alcohol and there's drugs, and that's not a problem for me. So then we just stop listening and tune out. And I think the issue of addiction that we'll take a look at in the book of Proverbs can be applied to many different areas, and the world that we live in is so crafty to try to get us to, to be susceptible to many different things, whether it be drugs or alcohol or a lot of other stuff. And so definition of addiction, let's just go ahead and start there before we jump into Proverbs 23. If, if we look at the definition of addiction, I think I have this up for you on the screen, it's, first of all, there's two, to cause to become physiologically and psychologically dependent on a habit-forming substance. So that would be like alcohol. And then there is also to uh, occupy oneself with or involve oneself in something habitually or compulsively. Example being gambling. What are some of the types of addictions? I think, again, what I'd want us to open our minds to as we look at the text is to recognize that sometimes we put this topic in one certain box and doesn't apply to us. And I think through the power of the Spirit, I'm trusting that the Lord will use this as um, a warning to all of us. So there's alcohol. These are examples. There's alcohol. There's drugs. There's the illegal kind and the prescription kind. There's, there's food. There is a, an addiction to food. There is an addiction to sexual sin. There is an addiction to smartphones, right? There's an addiction to TV. There's an addiction to gambling. There could be an addiction to shopping. There's an addiction to coffee. <coughs> that one hurts, right? There's an addiction to tobacco. There is an addiction 
to politics. There's an addiction to video games. There are addictions to the internet. There are addictions to work. There are addictions to money. And the list could continue to go on. And so what happens, some of these things that are out there, it tries to fire up that dopamine that's in our brain and allows us to say, I want that, I want that, I want that, I can't live without that. And so therefore, we go after that as opposed to going after him. You see the danger? We go after that instead of going after him. And what I have been grateful for is the book of Proverbs can really be summarized into 31 chapters of warnings. How do you want to live? What do you want your life to look like? It's a big warning for each of us to sit there and say that there is a generous God in the world who gave his one and only son so you and I could have a relationship with us, with him. And in order to have that relationship that's based off of joy, regardless of the situations or circumstances, that there is a situation where we can sit there and say, hey, because I love you, because I'm generous, not only with what I gave you, but I'm generous with you with what I'm going to warn you of. And I look at the book of Proverbs, and there are so many warnings in here. And I want to remind you right from the outset of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But here's what I don't want you to miss is verse 17. Verse 17 said, For God did not send his son into the world that the world might be condemned, but in order that the world might be saved. So 16 is what we often quote, but 17 is what is he trying to do? I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm trying to save you. And what I'm trying to do is I have this book that I wrote through Solomon and a couple of others to help you understand how to organize your life, how to give you some warnings that if you do this, then that's going to happen. And I'm doing that because I'm a generous God and I love you. And I want what's best for you. I want to reveal to you, don't go this way, but go this way. And that there are certain things, certain things in the world that we can become addicted to that allow us to choose it than choose him. And what does God want us to do? I think we look at what we've already covered this summer. We've looked at the fear of the Lord. Twice, we've looked at the wisdom of the Lord. We've looked at diligence with Aaron. Uh, one of our elders, Aaron Kiefer, did last week such a beautiful job of just looking at the topic of diligence. We've looked at money. Don't give me too much. Don't give me enough. I mean, it, it's uh, what Ryan talked about. And today, again, we're going to go to addiction. And what I want us more than anything in the world today to come away with is this. I want you to be obsessed with Jesus. I want us as our goal is simply just to be obsessed and consumed with his goodness, with his grace, and with his love for you. Um, that, would be, that would be our goal. So let's take a look at Proverbs 23, 19 to 35. That's going to help shape our time together. Proverbs 19, uh, excuse me, Proverbs 23, 19 through 35. Now, before we even get in there, I need you to make sure you understand the context and how we're going to apply it. It is very clear that the background of this text 
that Solomon is writing about the warning of alcohol. He is warning about the addiction to alcohol. That is the context of this text. How we are going to apply it is to all of addictions, okay? So he is addressing the issue of alcohol in this situation. We're going to apply it to the issue of addiction. So let's take a look at what it says in regards to addiction verses in verse 29. He has some questions that he's going to ask. I call this the Ryan Simchenko verse. If you have been around Ryan Simchenko, who was just up here for those that are new, and those of you may not have had a lot of time with Ryan, he is the greatest by far that I've ever met at asking questions. I, he just has a gift of asking questions. Well, here it comes. Here is the Ryan Simchenko. Here's some questions right now. 29, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining and who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? And so Solomon begins by asking these questions, and I really truly believe that these questions are rhetorical. I think he knows the answer to the question, and he is going to give us the answer in the next verse. But first, he starts off by saying, I know what your life looks like. This is what it looks like. It is woeful. It is sorrowful. It has strife. There is complaining. There are wounds without cause, and there is redness of eyes. So these are some questions that are thrown out there, and here is your state, and he's going to answer them in the next verse, so let's look at verse 30, and don't miss this. Verse 30, it says this, those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine. Here is the situation that I want to present to you this morning. What is the issue that you are tarrying over too long so that you choose it and not choose him? In this situation, it was alcohol. But here is the situation. There are some individuals that where they're going and what they're choosing is they're choosing to be there and be there too long to where they want it more and they want it more and they want it more so that there is a habitual and continual choice. I want that and it over you. What do you look like? Well, the reason that you are woeful and sorrowful and strife and complaining and have wounds without cause, the reason that you have that, the redness of eyes, is because you are tarrying too long at something that does not complete you. The reason that you're there is that we tarry too long at those places, or that we go there at all, in some cases. So maybe it's not, maybe this is not an addiction. Maybe this, this it, whatever it is, maybe it's not an addiction, but maybe it's in a place that it should not be in our lives. And I'd ask you right now, what is it that you are tarrying at too long, or entertaining too much, or giving too much attention to, to where we choose it and we don't choose him. So the warning continues in verse 31. Verse 31, he says, Oh, do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, and when it goes down smoothly. So here's what he's, here's what he's saying. Hey, 
You're, you're choosing something that not only looks good, but is, tastes good. It's simply not saying we can't have a drink at all. That's not what this is saying at all. This is talking about an inappropriate, habitual, continual sin that's going on. And what happens is he's warning them right now because he's generous and because he's good. He's like, I want to warn you, don't look because then when you look, that's when you taste. And so when it comes to what you tarry over too long, be careful of how we look and be careful of how we taste. There is action that's accompanying with this. Verse 32. Verse 32. What do we learn in verse 32? In the end, it bites like a serpent, and it stings like an adder. I really got a question for you. I had no idea what an adder was. I had to look that one up. But here's what he's saying, and I want to focus on the first three words. So here's what he's saying. You're woeful, you're strifeful, you're complaining, you have wounds without cause, and you have redness of eyes, and it's all because you are tarrying too long at this sin. You're camping out there. You're choosing it over choosing him. And so here's what he's asking us to do. He's saying, hey, I want you to know in the end, here's the key. The word in the end basically states that it was fun to begin with. In the end, what he's talking about is there is, a, there, is, there is a part here. What does it end with? It ends with a serpent and it stings like an adder. An adder is a viper. I looked up the most dangerous snake on the planet. And it is a saw-scaled viper. And a saw-scaled viper will bite you, and you have literally less than six hours to live. It will cause paralysis. It will, excuse me, it will start with pain. It will then go to paralysis, and then it will go to death. You're welcome. And so he's like, in the end, so remember, the first three words, what is he saying? It starts out promising you everything and not giving you anything. It starts out good. It starts out, that's what you think. It tricks your brain into thinking, hey, this is good. This is a good start. Reels you in, whatever the case might be, whether it's pornography, whether it's gambling, whether it's with addiction to work, addiction to our phones, whatever the case might be, it begins with a lure. But in the end, it's like a serpent, and it stings like a viper. I, I know every year when the copperhead season is out. Because Dana, who is a hospital pharmacist, will come home, and she'll say, oh, we had a copperhead bite. I had to, I had to make anti-venom. I just need you to know something right now that I'm just gonna tell you, I have a wife that makes anti-venom as a pharmacist. And that right now, I think, is that Jack Bauer? <laughs> that is unbelievable. And so here it is, like, she's like, hey, the, the, we had a lot of snake bites. Be careful when you go outside. It, here, here, here's what he's telling us right now. In the beginning, it is so good, but I'm telling you, it's there to destroy you. And here's our God who loves us 
who gave everything we need to live this life. And he's like, I just want to warn you. I want to warn you. Don't be misled by the start. Because in the end, it destroys you and destroys those around you. I would think we don't have to look very far or even have a great illustration. If we don't think that that's the case, there's two people that we need to ask. His name is Adam and her name is Eve. And you take a look at serpent, you take a look at, ooh, the damage that was done. So, verse 33. You're never going to believe what he said in this verse. Okay? Your eyes will see stranger things. Come on. And your heart utter perverse things. Now, those of you that are not familiar with my really cool hip reference, there's a TV show called Stranger Things. So I thought it was really cool if I added an R there and you did not. Okay? So your eyes will see, I think this is funny, work with me, Stranger Things. If you are lost, that's a different TV show. Okay, keep going. And your heart utter perverse things. Here's what's taking place right now. Here's what's going on. Heed the warning. If you tarry over this substance, I'm going to tell you your eyes and your heart are going to deceive you. Your eyes are going to see something that you believe that completes you. Your, your, your heart is going to believe something different that's other, other than the gospel. We will not be able to see. We will not be able to camp out and believe the truth of the gospel. That we are sinners saved by, by Jesus and Jesus alone. And what takes place is when you give yourself over to this addiction, when you give yourself over to this, believing that it will complete us, then what happens is we want it more. And what happens is it allows us to see, allows our hearts to see, allows our eyes to see things that are not rooted in the scriptures, that are not of God. My buddy Brad is a pastor in Fort Mill, South Carolina. He lives in Fort Mill, South Carolina. He works in Charlotte. I meet with Brad every, every Thursday at 10 o'clock, me and two other pastors. And we meet every Thursday just to talk. And I remember Brad having knee surgery and coming home. And he said, Matt, you're never going to believe what I saw. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, I had knee surgery. I came home and I was still on a lot of drugs. And I was sitting there watching TV. It was Sports Center, And I literally saw a chicken run in front of my TV. I literally saw a chicken run. Michelle, did you see that? A chicken just ran in front of the chicken. Yeah, here's what takes place. I just wanted to give you a picture here. When we give ourselves over to things that are not of God and become addicted to those things, it allows our minds, our eyes, our hearts to see things that are not real and not true, and we believe them. And it's not the gospel and doesn't help us in being a disciple who is making disciples for the furtherance of the gospel and for King Jesus. So he keeps going and building this case. You will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. So not only does it, it change what you see, it changes the way that you talk. Changes the way that you talk. 
We need to heed that warning. Verse 34. What does verse 34 say? Okay, you will be like, you will be like, here's an illustration, right? Like her as, we know that. It's an illustration. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast, turning ourselves over to this addiction or to these addictions. What can happen? It places us in very uncomfortable places. He's sitting here saying, you're going to give yourself over. What happens is you find yourselves in the middle of the sea. I don't know about you, but one of the things I get really anxious about, I was at the beach last week. I was in the ocean. I have to tell everybody about the rip currents and all that stuff. Be really careful. And then you look at these documentaries. Well, I treaded water for 12 hours. Listen to me. I can't float on my back. Okay? I'm done if I'm out in the middle of the sea or the ocean. The thought of being out in the middle of the sea is a very uncomfortable place. He gives them an illustration right now. Listen, when you're giving yourself over to this, you're going to find yourselves in uncomfortable positions and uncomfortable places. Like the middle of the sea. Or like the one who lies on the top of the mast. The mast is the part of a sailboat that is either the flag or the sail. So it's very, un- it's very hard to picture laying on top of a mast. It's an uncomfortable place. And that's the point of what Solomon's trying to make through the power of God is that, listen, we give ourselves over to addiction, whatever the case might be, whatever it is, you're in an uncomfortable position. You're in the midst of the ocean. There is no hope. You're in the midst of the ocean and you're on the top of the mast. That's an uncomfortable place. You never know where you'll be. And then here's 35. Here's verse 35. What does 35 say? 35 says this. They struck me, and you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. So here's the situation. When you are confronted, when we are confronted with this sin, this is what takes place. This is what we do, okay? So he is putting us in a situation. In this particular situation, there is a fight, there is an argument, there is something that goes on, and what happens is the individual in this situation does not learn a lesson, comes back and what, and goes right back to Terry, what got him in trouble. He went right back to Terry to spend too much time where his eyes, his heart were perverted because he was choosing it over him. And so here's what happens. We get confronted right now with this sin and then we realize, well, I was beaten up and we make excuses and then the question we have is, do I go right back or do I go somewhere different? In this situation, God is giving us a warning, don't go back. You don't have to go back. When shall I awake? I must have another. When I shall awake, I would ask you, could it be said of you? Could it be said of me? When I awake, I will go in a different direction. I will choose the power of the living God to speak to me, to use me, to make a decision that does not allow my life to be habitually and continually controlled by it, but by you. 
I pray that we would choose not to go back to the despair, the willfulness, the shamefulness, the sorrow, the slothful, what are all those things, all those questions that were asked at the beginning. I pray that we wouldn't go back there. He lies to himself. I was not hurt. It wasn't that bad. It's okay. And he goes back. So how do we, how do we, um, maybe in the next 10 minutes here, how do we, how do we finish this? How do we wrap this up with the text that we just learned? We talked about addiction. We've talked about, hey, there is something that we tarry at too long. What it does is it does not give us the life that John 10.10 said you could have. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. That's what Jesus said and what he promised. And so here he is warning, I don't want you to be addicted to this sin. I don't want you to tarry too long over that. I don't want you to be in a place where you're choosing it over choosing me. So what do we learn? First off and foremost, I want you to know Romans 8, 37 says this, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Romans 8, 1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. The God who raised him from the dead is the same God that can empower us regardless of what the it is that we are tarrying over too long. And so here's three things. I just want to give you three things. I don't have these on the screen. So I'm going to force you to write them down if you choose. Here's three. Number one, name the thing that you tarry over. Honesty is the precursor to victory. Being honest with yourself I need you to name what it is. We need to name what it is that we have been tarrying over too long. That is not causing us to be joyful, but it's causing us to be woeful, slothful, complaining, tired eyes. Name that. In addition to naming it, I think there's there's great things when we name it, we're not excusing it. And sometimes we have an opportunity to excuse it or say, well, well I just did, but, but I did. No, let's name it and not make any excuses. Let's not hide it. Let's not lie about it. Let's not explain it. Let's simply tell the truth. Whether you bring people in, whether you tell someone close, whether you go to God on your knees, let's just name what it is that we are tarrying over that is not bringing us life, but is really bringing us deception. Moses instructed Israel, it shall be written when he is guilty in any of these matters that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. Leviticus 5.5. Second thing. Second thing is decide and act against the thing. There lies within you a God-given power to choose and is a power that no force can rival with. So choose to act in a different way. Really what I'm trying to say here is when you say choose to act a different way, I'm really encouraging us as a family, let's repent. Let's repent. It's a, it's a 180. It means to deliberately change our mind. Romans chapter 12, that we would be renewing our minds. It's amazing that we make this decision what happens in the dopamine in our brains. When I was looking at this, 
I read this thing. It says, the moment you decide against sin and begin to act in a new moral cause, new neurological synaptic pathways immediately begin to form. Your mind actually begins to take on a new shape. Third thing. So we're, we're, we're naming that thing. We're deciding against that thing. And the, the last thing is to receive the power that is yours over that thing. There is no matter of honesty or no confession. No matter how much we do that, we must recognize we can't just sort of get her done or white knuckle our way through it. We have to recognize that there is a power that has been deposited in us when we said yes to Jesus that allows us to have the power to rise above this sin and all other sin. And we can't forget it. We are desperately in need of a power that is outside of us. And here's the good news. We have it. Solomon, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is addressing an issue that can be applied to many issues. They're saying, listen, as my children, I'm asking you not to tarry long so that you become dependent and addicted to this sin but that you recognize it because in the end it'll be a serpent and it'll be a viper and it hurts, it stings and it'll kill you. And I'm asking you when you're confronted, I'm asking you not to go back and tarry there. What I'm asking you to do is to tap into the power that's been given to you through the gospel to have the power to be honest, to choose and to receive the power that's in you that can give us victory. Listen, what is that power? I'm glad you asked. It's the love of Christ. The love of Christ is that power. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 15 say this. The love of Christ compels us. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. The love of Christ is the power that moves us to from cease to living for ourselves. So when we're caught up in these sins, what are we doing? We're choosing that over him. We're living for ourselves. And so for the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm just telling you today, there's a new way. You know this. And I think what Proverbs wants, us to, wants to remind us of is that there is a generous God who gives us generous warnings and there is a way that is sorrowful, strifeful, complaining, redness of eyes. But there is a way that is filled with joy and love. And it's the way of Jesus. And, and, and Solomon, through the Lord, wants to remind us of how good he is and how much victory there is in him. Because as Romans 8 says, there is no we are, we are conquerors in him. So let us name it before God. Let us decide to act on it. And let us receive the power that is ours so that we can live victorious and not defeated. We don't want to live as slothful, stripes, complaining, all that stuff. We want to live in the power of God for the glory of God. We want to be a family of disciples, making disciples for, for the name of Jesus. Amen?
I love you guys. Let's pray. Lord, I love you, and I thank you for, uh, for who you are. And I thank you for the, um, the, the power that is in us from you to rise above some sins that we give ourselves over to. Lord, whether it's a sin of addiction, whether it's a sexual sin, um, alcohol, drugs, whatever the case might be, whether it's the sin, it's an addiction to shopping, or an addiction to whatever, there's a lot. We recognize that we are tempted and we are pulled and we are enticed to choose it rather than choose you. And my prayer today is that, God, that we would recognize that we have power that's given to us upon our salvation to rise above this sin. The victory, we have it. The empty grave demonstrates that we have power and can have power over sin. So I pray today that you would give us victory and allow us not to tarry over those sins this week that are robbing us of the gift of life. And I pray that you would help us to tarry long over the word, tarry long in your presence, tarry long in receiving forgiveness, tarry long in repentance, that we would tarry long in your presence. For I know it is there that we find our meaning, we find our purpose, and we experience your power. I love you, In Jesus' name, amen.